right, everybody, we are rolling. Uh, this is Kaiju Transmissions, as always. I am Bird. And with me, as always, is... Matt. Hello, peeps. Yeah. And you know him now. Y'all are familiar with him. You're used to him. Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> Should we play that Eminem song? That's a little Detroit humor for uh, for the listeners. <laughs> but yes, that is the voice of our frequent collaborator, Trev, or Trev3K, as he's most commonly known. Isn't that right? <laughs> Not at all. No. All right. And <laughs> you may know him from previous spots on this show, or his own X-Men podcast, Days of Future podcast, or... If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It, where he talks to yours truly about film, and it's good to have you back. Uh, now, we're, I think, I think we're here for a special reason, because we're talking about a little indie, uh, and that is the very strange, very bizarre... Giant monster romantic dramedy, Colossal, directed by Nacho Vigilando. And um, the three of us have seen it. It is in limited theatrical release. You may know it from a series of misleading advertisements. And uh, if you are one of the people lucky enough to have it playing by you, uh, I'm just going to say... This discussion is going to be very spoiler-heavy. If you haven't seen the movie, I would definitely recommend coming back to this episode when you have, whether it's in theaters or once it comes out to VOD, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. Um, because it's you very went- hard to talk about without any kind of spoilers. Yeah, and we're not kidding here. Like, this is, like... It's you can always say that about any movie, right? Like, oh, there's gonna be spoilers, but really tread lightly here. If you don't want this movie spoiled for you, watch out because this is a movie built on, in particular, at least you know there's a couple twists in here, but there's a big twist in this that the movie's really the really movie hinges on, and uh, just be careful. And I, I, I would say if you haven't seen any trailers or anything, maybe keep it that way. Especially avoid the latest trailer, which gives everything away. Even the even the the newest poster gives away a huge thing and it's really going to be more rewarding if you just go in completely cold yeah i I would say at this point before we get into the spoiler stuff wouldn't you i mean not to give away what we're going to say later but would the three of us just agree that if you're into kaiju films and if you're just into like interesting weird cinema then go check this out yeah Yeah, go see it uh i mean one spoiler for this episode the three of us loved it um and uh, I know Trev and I have talked about how it could very well be our favorite movie of the year. So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a pretty heavy recommendation. Um, and for the people that listen to this that are more used to, I don't know, even stuff like Skull Island, uh, just know this is a very different version of a kaiju movie. But uh, I think, at least for the three of us, I think that's kind of part of the reason why we all liked it so much well let me ask you guys like right off the bat both of you you two because you guys are more tuned into like the kaiju community than i am clearly how much was this film on the radar in, of that world like leading up to its release was it something that was talked a lot about in like godzilla message well, boards and things or there's a couple things about it well first of all i'll say 
the reception to this has almost been like I know I talked about how I don't think the advertising is really known what they're doing. It's almost been the same, whereas like they almost just because you can tell the people promoting the movie and making the trailers, they almost don't know what to do with it. And so, like, <laughs> the tagline is last call to save the world, and it's like, the world's not in jeopardy in this movie, and, you know, and the trailer is cut like a really wacky comedy, and really the the trailer, it's, uh, the fr- at least the, the first trailers were okay because it's like a trailer for the first half hour, and that leaves a lot of surprises, but you can tell the people behind the marketing don't really know what to do with it, and I think that's kind of in the fan base. Um, it definitely... You know, you're here. I'm hearing about it here and there, at least looking on Facebook and stuff. But it doesn't have the same kind of interest that something like I don't know, one a, a bigger movie like you know, a Pacific Rim or a Skull Island might have. And uh, I think part of that is they. I, I think people just don't know what to think of it, and the ad, the ads, they don't really know what to think about that either. And um, I think it has the most notoriety, at least right now. I'm hoping the the community. Um, as the theatrical release expands and more people see it, more people start to embrace it more, but um, Toho slapped Nacho with a pretty heavy lawsuit. Uh, well, I, I don't think it was him directly. It was uh, Voltage Pictures who, who made the movie. Um, they foolishly, um, when they were trying to sell it to investors, put out uh, posters with like Anne Hathaway photoshopped into it and like... Um, uh, Godzilla, like not a creature that looks like Godzilla, but like actually like a still of Godzilla from a movie. And um, the the robot uh, Mazinger Z, if people know giant robot anime, and that was what they were using to sell it to investors. And Toho are very protective, and they came in and said, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! What are you doing?" And then they ended up settling out of court, I think, and that held up the the movie by like two, almost two years. Uh, that was kind of a big, like, intellectual rights deal. So I think a lot of people still, and and the Godzilla fan base are very protective as well. So I think a lot of people were like, oh, who are these guys trying to use Godzilla without permission? It's like, you know, that was just the the company trying to get funding and not knowing how to do it very well or professionally. So that I think it's more known for that than anything. Um, now, yeah. Matt, Matt is kind of like in more groups and social media than me. So, Matt, I haven't heard a whole lot on our end, but like, have you seen anything in the groups or forums that you've visited? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the, the reception for the people that have seen the movie have actually all been very positive. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, Bob Eggleton liked it, Matt Frank. They had nothing but good things to say about it. Um, and all the people that were commenting on their posts all said really good things. So, I mean, it, it seems like for the people that have seen the film, because it, it was playing like in, a, in a, literally a handful of theaters, um, everybody seemed to really have great things to say about the film. Yeah, and, I, yeah I will say everyone I've seen that has seen it has loved it. Yeah, and and I, I think the demand for something like uh, like this film, like I don't, I think people didn't really know what to expect, so I think there was a lot of um, 
probably apprehension because people really didn't know, you know, going in what to think about it. But now that people have seen it, that the the buzz has been all but I mean, there's been nothing negative, honestly. I think I've seen maybe one mixed review, even from like critics, like everything that has been coming out of the film has been great. So, yeah, if you haven't seen it, yeah, yeah, well, I, I think if anything, I think it's just I think it's it's gaining the traction to get that response but it's it's not immediate and i mean it's it's a limited release and it's still rolling out so i think that's probably I, i'm really i'm really kind of bummed with how under the radar it still feels i think it is a it's a victim of um the distribution company is neon which is um a new company this is actually their first release um but they were formed by uh tim league um who you know is part of the you know draft house guy and this is one of his new distribution company and you know they're it's i guess they're they're learning the ropes of how to do this right but i mean i feel like if this had been put up by somebody like a24 yeah or you know like a magnet even i think it would have got a little more traction a little bit more attention I think but I, to go back to what you were saying bird about like the the marketing i uh, sympathize with those people who are handed footage of this and said you know and told make a right, trailer yeah. because <laughs> it is a hard film to 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 try to market just yeah, because it's because it's, you don't they, want to give anything away, and it's yeah. just an odd You don't want to give general. anything away. You don't want to advertise it like it's just a run-of-the-mill kaiju movie. You're, you're really stuck tr- just trying to cobble together something that looks interesting. Like yeah, that's the, I mean, the, I, the one good thing about the, the neon part of it, though, uh, you know, they might not have marketed it very well in, term, in terms of a theatrical release, but I know I, res- I recently read that um, part of the deal with Neon is they just recently uh, like inked a deal with Hulu to where all Neon films will eventually go to Hulu after theatrical. So I'm guessing this will actually get a lot more eyes once it gets into streaming and yeah. probably start picking I, up following. Yeah, I, I think the potential not only for the kaiju fan base, but just for this movie to build a following, I think it's there. And it's all going to be in really how many people are able to catch it on streaming services and... Um, you know, it's good that I, I think they're expanding the. I think they've expanded the theater listings more. I think they're expanding it because, like, the theater we saw it at, Trev, like, we thought that was going to be the closest one. And then the next week, like, the theater right down the street from me was listed. So I think, yeah. I think that's a good sign. But, um, you know, for an indie movie, this, I think was a little bit well budget's 15 million i guess that's not too different from a lot of indies but um but yeah i i'm really hoping the the community and just fans of odd movies just kind of get behind it um uh i i think the the movie will because I think, is it Mondo? Like, Mondo just put out a whole bunch of merchandise for it, like, even, like, a figure of, of the monster. So, I don't know. If it does well, I think we'll see more stuff like that. Um, but, yes, Colossal. Uh, I did mention earlier that the trailers, at least the early ones, not the new ones that spoil everything, are uh, really, like, a trailer for, like, the first half hour. Um so go in, if you've seen those trailers, n- know that it's not the, like, goofy rom-com kind of thing they, they're selling it as. Because it gets dark, and when it does get dark, it doesn't really go back from that. It's, there's much more to it. Um, now, uh, Matt, 
I feel like I probably know the answer to this, but this director, <laughs> Nacho Vigalando, uh, uh, have you seen any of his other work? Uh, I'm pretty sure no. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the most popular movie he made before this like v- was... Is it ABCs uh, of Death or VHS? He, d- he, did, he did a segment on that and in one of the VHS movies, which are like anthology movies. The most popular movie he did was probably Time Crimes, which was like a time travel like murder mystery, which is actually pretty good. I know Tre- that's one that Trev knew as well. Yeah, I love Time Crimes. Yeah, Time Crimes I've I've seen was good. He did two others, Extraterrestrial and Open Windows, neither of which I've seen. But um, I I really liked Time Crimes. So I remember when he first did an interview saying he was doing a kaiju movie. And I think, again, people didn't really know how to take it because, uh, first of all, I don't know if it's just his English, so he didn't know really a word to use at the time but this is also part of that lawsuit was when he was talking about it he said i have a plan to make a godzilla movie and it's like whoa whoa, whoa you do <laughs> you know <laughs> he didn't he that. didn't say a, a godzilla like movie or a godzilla type movie and and he said like uh, another, the other thing he said was but it's going to be super low budget so it's going to be like the cheapest godzilla movie you've seen and i found a way to do a godzilla movie with like no budget and it's probably going to frustrate people and, I re- and that was another thing when Toho, like, went back and, like, I guess researched what was going on with this. They were like, whoa, sounds like he's trying to make a Godzilla movie. But but that's just, like, those, like, old people that call all vampires Dracula. You <laughs> yeah, know? It's yeah. like, it, it's, you know, I, I've, I've met people in the past who call all giant monster movies a Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they think, like, that's the name of the genre. Yeah, yeah. You know? But, um... Anyway, we're not going to bore you guys with the the now infamous lawsuit, but those comments definitely didn't help his case. And um, originally it was to be set in Japan. I think this is just a hunch, but I feel like the location, the Korea setting, because basically a huge portion of this movie takes place in Korea, and I feel like maybe that was something they had to agree after the the kerfuffle with with Toho. But... um, uh, from what I was able to to look at, because I I tried to go in as cold as possible, so it wasn't till after I saw the movie that I started looking at like interviews and stuff. And when they just said, you know, where where'd you even get the idea for this? He was saying, you know, he he's a fan of kaiju movies and he's always loved kaiju movies and he's a, wanted to make one. And then he was thinking like, well, no one's gonna give me the budget to make like a Godzilla movie or something. It's gonna have to be like super cheap like made for peanuts and he was like well how can that work and then that's when the idea of having a human monster like cypher on the other end of the world and scaling the story down to be like between like just a couple people came in and he said when he first wrote it and we'll get into why this is like a crucial decision he made he said when he first wrote it like the treatments he were was making were about two guys fighting over a girl. And then eventually he came up with the idea to make the main character a female, and then he said that's like when everything clicked and the story really took shape, and he he ended up making a movie about, you know, the toxic relationships between not only men and women, but people in relationships, and that's kind of where all that fell into place. Um, like, can you guys imagine this movie with two guys is just fighting over a girl like i can i can see why that wouldn't have why he wasn't able to like find a way to take that story 
Yeah, what we got is much better, I think, than <laughs> than than that idea. Um, now before I'll have someone else do a plot breakdown because a I've talked too much and b a movie like this. Uh, I mean, I'm already bad at plot breakdowns for normal movies, so I'm gonna trust one of you guys. But um, <clears throat> you, were, I will say that um, the the thing I love about this movie is it does something that people don't often do with the kaiju genre. Um, you know, we're used to giant monsters being metaphors for, I mean, Godzilla, one of the most famous allegories ever, nuclear war or, um, you know, King Kong, what happens when man interferes with nature and uh, the dangers of science and meddling too much with nature and, you know, or even like the global pacifism of Ishiro Honda's movies, or even, like, the more right-wing kind of rhetoric of Shin Godzilla. Everything is usually presented in, a like, a, a broad philosophy or um, some kind of socio-political message, and it, it isn't often that someone uses giant monsters as kind of a way to externalize human relationships and how people treat each other and something a lot more personal than than things that we usually see. The the only thing that even comes close is maybe with Evangelion, you know, Anno was using the mecha versus monster genre to kind of ex- kind of purge himself out of this depression and showing just like how sick and messed up people can be and getting into all the like parental stuff at the end. So it, 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 that's something that I immediately took to with this movie. And um, when you hear me say it's about the relationships, I will now pass it along to... I'm going to nominate Trev <laughs> to give the plot breakdown and specify exactly what I mean. All right. Um, so Colossal focuses on a character named Gloria, played by Anne Hathaway, who, as the movie starts, is um, a struggling... Uh, writer living in New York City, uh, primarily struggling because she is dealing with alcoholism. We we learn this pretty quickly when we see her return from what we now what we soon understand is a pretty typical night of late night drinking. And uh, when she comes home to her apartment that she shares with her boyfriend, played by Dan Stevens from uh, Legion, just recently on FX, he's pretty frustrated by what's clearly become a habit now, and he kicks her out. He's finally had enough of her alcoholism, and and it says, no more, you have to get out of here. And with nowhere else to go in New York, she just kind of moves back to her hometown, which I don't think the movie ever tells us where exactly the hometown is, but it's obviously like kind of middle America, small town, suburban they, they town. They do name it, but it's it's in the state. I don't state think they of, a state, though, right? It's, it's in the state. I, I assumed it was in the state of New York, but it just wasn't in any, like, you know, it wasn't like a downtown area. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a much more like kind of run down little small town area. Um, so she moves back into this house that her belongs to her parents, although they don't they don't live there currently. It's like a house they um, I, I, I'm not sure if they like have it there for like when they come home from like being away or what. But it's a, it's a pretty empty house. She moves in. There's no furniture. Um, she has to sleep on the floor for a while. And she is not there very long when she runs into an old uh, friend from childhood named Oscar who's played by Jason Sudeikis, who most people obviously know from Sarah Live the most. And they kind of reconnect. He's very excited to see her. Um, and he c- takes her to this bar he owns. <clears throat> it's a bar that was owned by his parents when they were younger. And he's inherited it following his parents' death. 
and he's kind of keeping it going, but it's, uh, you know, he's kind of, he had like shut down half of it. It's a full size bar, but he's only using half of it. And you kind of get the sense that things maybe aren't going super great for him, but nonetheless, he offers her a job. He can kind of see she's down on her luck, offers her a job as a waitress and she agrees, but needless to say, that's not the best place for, you know, who's uh, an alcoholic to be. She's trying to be a recovering alcoholic, but not doing a great job and getting a job at a bar does not help. And so every night after the shift is done, she typically stays behind with Oscar and a couple other of his friends. And they just hang out at the bar uh, after hours, drinking, shooting the shit. And she ends up, you know, most you know nights stumbling back home drunk and passing out. And one of those mornings she wakes up and turns on the news and discovers that during the night, a giant monster has appeared in South Korea and has kind of, you know, done a lot of damage to us, us like a city block. And she's, you know, the whole world is shocked by this, as is she. And, you know, it becomes like a big topic of discussion. Everyone's watching in the news. And eventually she starts to notice in the news footage of it that some of its mannerisms seem very familiar to her. And she recognizes them as her own mannerisms. So she comes to discover that the reason that is is because what's actually happening is that there's a certain playground that is on. It's kind of midway between her house and the bar. And every morning when she's stumbling back home, she walks through this playground at exactly the same time. I think it's 8.05 in the morning. And when she walks through this playground, this giant monster appears in Korea. And whatever she does physically, the giant monster does. So if she rubs her head, the monster rubs its head. If she uh, raises her right arm, the monster raises its right arm. So in other words, this monster is nothing more but a, than a physical manifestation of her in this playground at this exact time in the morning, which, of course, is nighttime in Korea. Uh, go ahead, Bird, you had an interjection? Or? Well, I was going to say uh, it's very, like, it's almost like very being John Malkovich in that way, where it's like she has to be in this certain spot at this certain time, and that's mm-hmm. when this happens. Yeah, it's not like she can just walk in the playground anytime it happens. It has to be a very specific um, set of circumstances. So she's pretty shocked to find this, you know, obviously, as anyone would be. And she eventually decides to tell Oscar and and her friends. And she kind of takes them, you know, obviously, it's not the kind of thing you just tell people to have them believe. So she's like, well, I'll show them. And she brings them to the playground and demonstrates for them while they have their, you know, phones up to see if the monster appears. And sure enough, it does. And it does the same thing she does. I don't know how far you want me to go with this plot description, Bird, but I guess I guess I'll leave it on at least one thing. Um, as she's showing them the, you know, how she can, you know, create this monster and it's, everyone's having fun and goofing around, something happens and she trips and falls, which, of course, causes the monster to trip and fall and fall on a few buildings and kill a lot of people in South Korea. And yeah. when she wakes up from this, she's obviously devastated by this because what seemed like, you know, fun and games and like, oh, look, I can create this giant monster suddenly has a very, a very real cost to it. And I think that's how much of like maybe some of the initial like marketing and plot synopsis of this kind of would bring people up to to, to get into the movie. There's actually a whole another thing that we'll get into soon, but that's where I'll leave off for right now. Yeah, um, I will say that's the turning point of the movie because she's drunk and yeah, one of the turning points. Well, yeah, she's drunk in this playground and acting a fool, showing off this monster, and she falls and she kills a lot of people, and that really changes her. And she, I, I mean, I'll just say she never gets over the fact that that happened. Um, no. As you should. Yeah. And 
and then it, it's very clear that Oscar doesn't really you feel like he might sympathize that she feels bad but it, it's very apparent from the get-go that you, he's not really picking up like it's not really sinking in that hey like hundreds of people just died and he has a line early in the movie where he's just like well it's a good thing they're way over here and we're over here um <laughs> and uh, i think that's another kind of thing that this movie kind of is maybe commenting on a little bit like it's something I think everyone kind of thinks, you know, like, I, I mean, you pass a, a wrecked car and like, I think it's Ving Rhames in the Dawn of the Dead remake. He, he says like, when you see that deep down, everyone thinks the same thing, better them than me. And I think that that's really kind of um, something this movie is is going for as well. It's interesting because it's, it's doing it on two levels, right? It's it's commenting on that idea of like, oh, it's you know it's not happening to us, so it doesn't seem that important. But on a storytelling level too, which is very important for this film, the idea of you know her falling and killing so many people is a pretty amazing like uh, thematic representation of the actual damage that someone's alcoholism can do to people because it's very easy to be like, oh, you know, I'm making mistakes, but it doesn't affect anyone. Her mistakes really affect people. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, so, do you, should we get into like the the big thing here? Or? Yeah, man, <laughs> you got that. That's uh, no other place to go. I think. All right. Well, All right. <clears throat> well, um, another reason Sudeikis uh, Oscar, you know, is maybe not super keyed into the pain she's feeling about what she did is because he's also distracted by the fact that so when she fell, he came into the playground to help her to pick her up. And he reveals to her that when he did a giant robot appeared in South Korea, which is his avatar. So it turns out that for some reason he can also create a Kaiju. Uh, well, he creates a giant, uh, I guess a, a Jaeger, whatever you want to say it, a giant robot there. And uh, so he also has an avatar that he can create, and he's pretty amused by the whole thing. He finds it very interesting. Um, but because of what happened, you know, she first first she wants to make it clear to to people that she's sorry for what happened. So she gets him to help her, you know, um, translate some Korean, and she actually goes into the playground, you know, make sure that where she's standing, she's not hurting anyone in South Korea. And she bends down and kind of writes in the ground, I'm sorry, it was a mistake. It was an accident. It won't happen again. And she actually gets Oscar to agree that, like, they just need to stop doing this. Like, it's they they can't take any more risks. Maybe it seemed fun. Maybe it's, you know, it's this weird thing. But it's just too dangerous. And, it, and at first he agrees. But as the film has been progressing, we've been noticing through some looks and through some dialogue that Oscar is maybe not the complete great guy he seemed at the beginning when he found her and just offered her a job and they seem like old friends yeah you, you, we, we, you get a, we, we, we well, get a sense of this like possessive streak of his yeah well well you see well the first indication is like that night that he hires her like he sees her kind of making a move on one of his friends and he flips out then throughout mm. the movie is gradually like get, sending her gifts and you know, she's an alcoholic, and she can't really remember th anything the next day, so he'll be like, oh, yeah, here's that furniture you want, and she's, she'll be like, 
did I say I wanted furniture? He's like, yeah, yeah, you told me. You don't remember. Well, even the job, even the job. He's like, you know, remember you remember I offered you a job and you said yes. And she's just like, okay. And it is that kind of thing where because she doesn't remember, she just kind of has to take him at his word. And yeah, so that could that could be him being honest, but it could also be him completely using her. Yeah, he's gaslighting her. Yeah. And uh, Uh, so so you see there that he suffers from, I think, what a lot of people know as. Uh, white knight entitlement or the nice guy mm-hmm. syndrome where there's a guy who likes a girl and the feelings aren't reciprocated properly and instead of just saying oh she's not into me they keep trying and keep trying and keep trying to be the nicest best guy on earth and then they flip out because they feel like they aren't getting the attention they want they feel like they're owed the attention they want, whether it's, you know, sex or, you know, flirting back to them. And when they, and that's a very real thing that exists between male and males and females. And that's ultimately what the, the movie is using the monsters as a metaphor for. That's ultimately what the movie is getting to is the toxic relationships that we get in and how people manipulate each other. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, and kind of also like taking responsibility for your own actions, right? Which is a big character um, arc of Gloria, you yeah. know, who has to like, you know, uh, accept what she is and, and and learn to like, like you said, break free of like the the negative influence of these guys in her life, and kind of accept her own responsibility and, and move forward. Yeah. Um, because yeah, because then you know, we, I won't we won't give away the entire ending, but to just push it forward just a little bit more, um, Gloria does end up hooking up with one of the friends that they they both have the, one of the mutual friends and when oscar finds this out that's kind of the last straw he kind of flips and loses that's it. when he starts hanging her guilt mm. over her head and he'll even say you know i i'm gonna unless you do this or this or this i'm gonna come back to this playground stomp around and kill a bunch of people and of course we know that he's disassociated from it because it's two different sides of the globe and it's not registering with him what he's doing and i mean that's that. That's when the movie just gets dark. Um, mm-hmm. Now, Trev, we've yam, yammered on and on and on now. Now, Matt, you've been kind of quiet, and you also just saw it the <laughs> most recently. So anything, first of all, anything you want to add to what we're saying? And B, I mean, ultimately, we said we all liked it, but you can elaborate a little bit. What, what did you think of the movie? One of the things that I think uh, sort of stuck with me is Oscar's character, he strikes me as the the very uh, unfortunately very real uh, abusive uh, <laughs> guy in a relationship, and and we've all we've all probably known somebody uh, who's been in one of those relationships. Um, and, and you know he he's always trying to take advantage of somebody. He's always the one character. Um, I guess Joel drove me crazy the entire time because even though he hooks up with Gloria, right? He he says nothing to, to Oscar the entire time. Yeah, like he follows him around like a little like lap dog and he just kind of, you know, doesn't say anything. And I mean, even that, like how many times have we uh, either in our own personal lives seen it or just been aware or known someone who knows someone where there's that outsider who's aware and sees everything and they're just passive. Um, even like, even the other friend played by Tim Blake Nelson, who's like, just a really seems like a good natured kind of loyal friend, good guy. Even he gets a moment that's almost kind of heartbreaking where 
you know, Oscar is just being a dick to him and, like, calling him out on having a coke problem in front of everybody. And, like, you really feel for him. And, Matt, I want to piggyback on what you said about, uh, like, I would say everyone in this movie felt real to me. And, I mean, I think yeah. I think anyone, at least people of our age, like, once you're a little more experienced and into your 30s, like, you've either known everybody in this movie Maybe you've been one or more of these characters. Like, I've known alcoholics. I've known people who have, you know, uh, manipulated people in their relationships. I've known people who have been abusive. Like, I've known people with drug problems. Like, I've known, I felt like I've known everyone in this movie to a degree that's, like, almost scary how accurate it is. Yeah, and that's what makes, I think, the movie good. I mean, this is a, a character piece first and definitely a monster piece second. And if you go in with that mindset, uh, when you see the film, I don't think you'll be disappointed. If you're going in and expecting, like, Skull Island, like, you're, you're going you're gonna to come out feeling probably uh, underappreciative of the film. But, you know, talking about um, Oscar, like, the, the guy's just, he, he's a dick. Like, he's, he, he's scary. Uh, he's intimidating and he, he has this moment where he literally like almost sets the bar on fire. Well, he does actually the inside of the bar on fire with a firecracker just to prove the point that basically Gloria will not leave him even to go back to her then ex-boyfriend Tim. Cause he actually comes back into town to try to win her back essentially only because he can, and he knows he, that Gloria will never leave him because she's the only thing that can prevent him from basically going into Korea, becoming the monster or becoming the robot and stomping around. And he, it's just like this massive power play. And I mean, like, how many guys have we encountered that like have that power over women? I mean, I know a bunch. Yeah. And then, yeah. and how many times have we probably not done anything about it? I well, mean, I and say, Oscar's. Like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, like, I mean, we we probably all played that Joel character at some point. We're like, yeah, but I don't know if it's my place to, to mm -hmm. say anything. Oh yeah. Like yeah, yeah, it's our place to say something. <laughs> right, yeah. Like stop stop being a little pussy. Like. I, I don't know how else to say that. I mean, I, it's just you, you got to now in my in my older life, like at, since I am married, since I do have a son, like I man, you you and I have a sister now too who's twenty six. Like I'm gonna say something, and, and if that guy is dating my sister, I'm gonna beat that dude's ass. I mean, that's just how you have to be. I don't I don't you have to be uh, protective. I think like that's protective nature as a, as a husband as a father as a brother and certainly as a friend like you got to stand up and be there for the people that need you yeah and and oscar's motivations are also very like real in this film too uh you know and i'm not not that i'm saying like oh i get like where he's coming from but you do in the sense that they eventually reveal when we see like a little bit of like what his, what his home life is like and stuff that we get a sense that the, the whole reason he's driven crazy by Gloria is because it's this like this jealousy about how she's the one who got away from this town, right? She actually went out and made something herself and he never got to. And so it's like the, he targets her. And the minute she's back in town, you know, it's like to him, it's like I'm going to claim her as mine because I'm just mad that. I'm here, like, running this bar that my parents had, and she went off and was, like, a successful writer in New York. And even when he finds out that it's not all that for her, right, that actually she has this alcohol problem, and he can, you know, he can tell that things are actually falling apart for her, but that's just better for him, because it makes her an easier target to, to kind of, you know, try and put under his thumb. But, I, I mean, I've no, we've all known people like that, too, I'm sure, where people are just kind of, like, you can tell they're bitter because their life didn't turn out the way they thought it would. Yeah, the the other thing I like uh, about this movie is is Gloria is 
she's a redeemable character, right? Like she has all these flaws, but at the at the end of the film, she's still clearly struggling. And I won't I won't give the end scene away, but like there's this part where like you can you can tell like she's still fighting that that alcoholism. But at the same point, like you see the good moments that she has. You see the mm-hmm. the the thing that she's trying to do to to kind of make up for her struggles, which I really liked a lot. She's the one character in the film, like man, you're really pulling for her. I think she's a great, yeah. I think she's a great character, and it's a that's a hard kind of character to get right. I think we've probably all seen films where they try to have like the you know like oh the likable alcoholic uh, as the main character, and they can be too comedic or you know they can be too annoying. It doesn't feel real. But I think uh, between Vigilando's writing and Hathaway's performance, I think she feels real the entire time. And I'm with you, Matt, in that I think your sympathies are worth her the entire time. Um, she does, you know, she's she's a frustrating character at times because she keeps making the same mistakes. But you're never angry at her about it. You always get it, and you really feel for her, and you want her to like beat this. Yeah, I would say she's she's frustrating as a character, and I mean maybe even at times unlikable as a character. Just like how if you've ever known real life alcoholics. I mean, they're they're frustrating and unlikable sometimes too. I mean, I've had plenty of friends, especially like in high school, that just got really really bad alcohol problems. Like my dad was an alcoholic. Like, and and it's true that like they can be so frustrating because they they can't they almost can't help but make the same mistakes. And it's it's mm-hmm. always an up. I'm not excusing their behavior by any means, but it's always like this uphill battle. Yeah. that any addict has to fight. and It's not excusing the behavior, but this film's a reminder that in a lot of cases, there's still a decent person under there, right? Yeah. And they're, you know, they're, and they're struggling too. And, you know. <clears throat> yeah, and, and so I, I was kind of lukewarm on the way it ended, but just, but the more I thought about it is like, kind of like, you know, these are struggles that people are always going to have. Like, the more I was like, oh, you know, that actually is a really good way to wrap this up because... You know, it, it. All these characters, their problems aren't just going to get solved immediately. You know, these are I all. Think if you, people I think if who, you ended the film with her being like, "Well, not an alcoholic anymore. Everything's all right," it would seem so. <laughs> right. Yeah. That'd be the, that'd be the worst. <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, like, if if you've ever been to counseling, or if you know anybody who's been through it, and and I have, um, I have some friends out in uh in on the West Coast who they actually do they do ministry, but the whole point of the ministry is to help addicts whether it's it's drugs or, or you know alcoholism or whatever they'll tell you 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 don't ever stop being addicted to something it's no. just yeah. you, you you basically you you stop doing it and you have to keep fighting that every single day that you wake yeah. up and so like the way that the film ends is kind of that that picture perfect moment where like she has a decision to make is she going to fall back into it again or she's or is she not and um I mean that that's that's really how true life is. Like you have to basically make that conscious choice every day. Am I going to make this mistake again, or am I going to take the first step and say no? Well, I don't even um, think, and I, I think you're right, man. I think it's important to say too. That's not the the idea of whether or not she can beat alcoholism. Also, doesn't feel like the thematic um, point of the story, right? It's really more it's not, that yeah. yeah she has she has to make the decision to decide to no longer let herself be run like ruled by guys like Oscar or Tim, right? She has to take responsibility to say i'm my own person i'm gonna you know do this all myself and i think that's the important character arc that she has and so you can end it with her doing that and it is a victory but then we know she's still going to be struggling with this other part of her life yeah and and like the kinds of like fuck-ups that she's responsible for like are very real too i mean in the beginning when when her boyfriend tim is like 
yelling at her about how like how he can't take it anymore. He's like, you know, you're always up late. You wake up. You don't you don't know anything that happened. You uh, you 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 just lie about where you were all the time, and your lies never add up. And when I'm gone, you like the first scene. Like once he leaves and has reprimanded her for all these things and basically kicked her out, she invites a bunch of people over to just, like, have a party and <laughs> drink in the middle of the day. And it's, mm-hmm. and you know, you're, you're often, whether or not you agree with the behavior or not, you're often looking at a character who is making sense somehow. You know, not Oscar with killing people, but I mean, like, you uh, you you these are all situations that you've either been in you've been that guy or you've known that guy even when uh dan stevens comes back to like win her over one of the first things he does like oh you got a job in a bar what are you doing in a bar like you're so much better than that how could you do that and it's like yeah well tim is like a really interesting character right because and that's why it's great that they got an actor as good as dan stevens for a character that doesn't is not in the film a lot But he's very interesting because, like you said, these are all like really real characters. And Tim's a guy that I don't know. I don't want to say he's a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. Right. It's he's really riding that middle line because you get the sense that he does care about her. I I do think he does. Yeah, I I never I I always believe that he did love her, but he has his own set of issues and he's controlling too right and he you know he comes and just thinks she's going to come back and it's also important to note that he doesn't come back to get her until that skype call where he sees or hears oscar and starts to think oh there might be another guy involved and suddenly that's when he wants to like get her back and and like so much of a thing was like how she lost her job and she hasn't had a job in so long just get a job just get a job just get a job and it's like yeah she just picked up probably minimum wage or less even at a bar and she's but you know i mean at least he he's never able to give her that extra foot of rope to say oh at least you have a job and uh you know i mean i'm sure you're looking like he never he never says like oh i i'm glad you're doing something and i'm sure you're looking for something better like he never says that to her it's immediately you aren't living up to my expectations yeah and he coaches in that way where he's like you know oh i know you can do better which sounds like it's like a, like a good thing but really it's just like you know you're not giving her any credit for making her own decisions yeah. what it what it really means in in his in in uh dan stevens as tim speak that just means you're not doing what i want you to be doing yeah i can't date a waitress yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say like with, with tim's character and their their whole dynamic he just he also comes across as a total douchebag and unsupportive in every way possible like if you if you were dealing with somebody that you truly cared about you would never treat them that way as frustrated as you were like that's not i couldn't imagine like looking at sarah right my wife and being like and just talking to her that way knowing that she was that she was dealing with with that problem or her looking at me that way knowing that you know i was going through that and her saying those things because that's gonna like in my opinion you're pushing her closer to that thing that you that you don't want her to go back to right like you're you're basically pushing her back to the alcohol you're giving her no support system oh absolutely yeah um yeah um like yeah because the least he could do is say like oh i'm i'm glad you're doing something and you're making money <laughs> you know could, could, couldn't couldn't he ask her what she needed like hey what what can i do to help you mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. I, like I, I don't know i just yeah and the every, thing is everyone, we all we all know people like that right we all know the guy that's and they're overly critical they they don't instead of asking you what you need how can i help you how can i love you better stuff like that they're 
they're going to criticize everything you do. And instead of being uplifting in any way, shape or form, they're just beating you down. And so you go back to the very thing that you're they're trying to keep you from, which is alcohol, sex, whatever bad behavior you're they're criticizing you for doing. Yeah, everyone suffers from a major problem with things like empathy and accountability. I mean, even Gloria, like, it's not until she more or less kills hundreds of people that, you know, she's shaken out of it, you know? Um, and so, and, and it, but it, like, I, like we were saying, like, it, 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 this all comes out in the dialogue, in the character moments, because... It would be easy to just write a movie where, you know, this guy is a fuck-up, this guy is a drug addict, this guy is the abusive guy, but everyone has a lot of... Like, there's so many layers to these people. Um, and I've seen the criticism that... I, like, I, I've seen people say, oh, you could take the monsters out of here and the plot could be exactly the same. And, you know, some people have been kind of critical and saying, like, well, if you do that, like... You've you've fucked up making a monster movie, but I, I think that the best monster movies are the ones where you could take the the fantasy out and just bring it down to the human characters, and you would still have a great movie. I think the original Godzilla is even like that. You, if you replace Godzilla with you know something else, you know you still have a powerful character driven movie about the horrors of nuclear war and. The, the fact- I'm not sure. I'm not sure I even agree with that criticism, though, about how you could take the monsters out. Because, like I said, I think, I think the fact that people are being hurt across the globe by their actions is actually a really important thematic element of this. That, like I said, that idea that like it's showing that you know what seems like this little, just condensed character relationship between these these few characters actually has larger ramifications. And I think they're using the you know what's happening in South Korea as a, a large like manifestation uh you know analogy of that. Right. Yeah. And um and you know the the I think the metaphor of using a monster I guess really as a cipher for Gloria and her alcoholism is saying, you know, people with this problem they constantly are hurting people mm-hmm. whether they want to or not. You know, um, and I just I just really appreciate how fresh of an approach any of any of this was to a genre that, you know, I love. And, you know, as much as I like stuff like Skull Island or or Pacific Rim or, or things like that, I mean, they're they're all very concerned about honoring what came before it, you know, Skull Island, it wants to be a good King Kong movie, you know, uh, Godzilla 2014, it wants to be a good Godzilla movie and make the fans happy. And Pacific Rim is probably the closest thing to like an original property. And, you know, Guillermo had his whole set of rules and mythology, which was all great, but it's still very much, you know, it's him honoring the movie, the, the genre he loves. And, uh, it's, it's bold to have someone like Nacho Vigalando come in and say, I'm going to use this well-known, often repeated genre, and I'm not trying to honor anything. I'm not trying to pay homage to anything. I'm just going to do a movie I want to do. And there's something really refreshing about seeing something like that because I mean, I mean, sure. Let the let the franchises be the franchises. Let Godzilla, Gamera, Kong. I mean, we have our own expectations of those. But if you're going to do something original, you know, I like that he's not so concerned about. 
I don't I don't want to say making the fans happy because then it just sounds like you know he doesn't care but like he's he's not concerned with this movie being like oh I want to make this for kaiju fans you know he's like this is a very personal small movie I want to take this genre that I love and just tell my own story with it and that's all he's doing mm-hmm. and it's just in in recent years we've only had the franchise stuff or we've only had these movies that are homages to this or that and so like you really need a breath of fresh air and like um like maybe like the host and is maybe like the last thing that really felt like that I think a lot of the best genre films are ones that where someone's just using the trappings of the genre to tell a different kind of story or to like, you know, kind of disguise something else by using the genre. And obviously that's what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that a lot of our favorite films do that um, yeah. sometimes, you know, so it's I think what makes this work so well is that, yeah, he obviously he's into kaiju films. and He wanted to make one, but he had this other thing that he wanted to do with it. Yeah. And he's not just trying to make a badass kaiju movie. Yeah. You know? and, and, that, and I think I, I honestly think it was a stroke of genius to say, like, well, how can I make a kaiju movie without a giant budget to go and do something like this? I think like that was like a, just a brilliant way to to do that because mm-hmm. not only is he getting, you know, wanting to make a kaiju movie, that's out of his system, but now he's made this original thing that says, I mean, we've already talked about how many layers there are to this movie. Like there's so much you can say about it, and I think a lot of that is, you know, Probably what I think is going to make it, I guess, I, I don't want to say a cult movie, because, I mean, who knows, what is a cult movie anymore? But I think it has the potential to be a big cult movie. Yeah, I think it's going to end up with a very devoted fan base, but maybe not a large one. So if that's what a cult film is at, at all anymore, then yeah. Let's be realistic here. I mean, what do you think 25% of all the monster films that we talk about on this podcast are going to have excellent character work like in this film? Maybe maybe less than that. And and the other seventy five percent are, you know, monster on the loose stories where the characters get you from point A to point B and you might have one or two characters that you really like, but the rest are kind of throwaways. Yeah. This film does something special that you don't always get. Um and I and I really appreciate it for that. Well, yeah. I think Well um, Bird's heard me say, I mean, like Bird knows that because like I've always told him, like I, I like kaiju films, you know, I enjoy them. But the thing that's always kept me at kind of uh, arm's length from it is I've, I've told Bird, I'm like, not a lot of them have great human characters. And I'm a, I'm a real big character guy. Like, most of my favorite films are because I think there's a lot of interesting characters in them. So as you just said, this is like, for me, this is like the perfect marriage of like a genre I like, but finally also giving me a super strong character yeah. piece. And that doesn't happen often. I mean, the original Godzilla, definitely a strong character piece. Other than Monster that, Zero, I love Monster Zero. I mean, for the, that. the characters a, in Monster Zero are fun, but it's not like you know. They, well, they you're not you're, you're not getting like the the. They don't the have the dimensions intense. of you know yeah. a, a Sarazawa or anyone in this, and um, I think you know I think the Gamera trilogy kind of tried, um, especially the third one, um, uh, and then you know every now and then you'll see it. I. I I, I'm not going to guilt them too much because I think a lot of filmmakers, you know, they realize in a kaiju movie they 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 put all their thought process into the monster stuff, and I'm okay with that. But yeah, it's the character pieces that are the are are really rewarding, 
to a diff- in a different type of way. You know, there's one thing about, you know, a movie like Skull Island, which gets all the monster stuff, the monster stuff's great, and there's something to be said for that. But I, I think it's just more often than not, the, the idea to make it a, char- a character study in this genre isn't even on the, the filmmaker's radar. It's not something that... Their movies are almost by design not going to do that. And that's okay... You know, I wouldn't want every, you know, I wouldn't want the next Godzilla or King Kong movie to be colossal necessarily. But um, I, I read uh, uh, what I thought was a really good summary of what we're saying is uh, an interview with with the director Nacho Vigalando. He said, um, you know, the the biggest challenge once he figured out how to make a kaiju movie with no budget and make it a story like work as a human story because if you don't have the budget then that's what you need to deliver. And he said, uh, you know, a lot of kaiju movies are like sandwiches where the characters are the bread and the monsters are the, are the meat. And the, the bread's okay, but it's the meat that's really good. And he was like, I want to make the kaiju movie where the bread and the meat are, like, just as good. And, I, I mean, like, is there... I think that's a pretty spot-on, like... <laughs> like... Yeah, we, we haven't really talked about the 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 monster or the robot that much. Um, given the budget, like honestly, I thought they looked fantastic. The designs are great. The special effects looked awesome. Um, I I had no complaints about the 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 destruction sequences and, and and the comedy that you get from having a portrayal from Gloria become the monster and some of the funny things that she does. Um, and controlling the monster, and then all of a sudden becoming like, oh, you know, she falls on people and, and like tramples them. And I, I, I thought a lot of it was great. I mean, there's not a whole lot of monster stuff. You probably get maybe what ten minutes total yeah. uh, of monster sequences, but I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and uh, you don't really get like you don't even really get like a battle. You get like a brief scuffle between the two, which uh, I should. We should divert for a moment, um, which is Gloria slapping Oscar, <laughs> and the monster slaps the robot, and uh, it turns into this big viral video, and uh, you know Oscar is clearly pissed off that like he's more or less <laughs> been seen and laughed at around the entire globe getting bitch slapped, um, and there's a great part where like they're on YouTube looking at like the different like videos, and there's one where like <laughs> the monster slaps the robot and the the it, like this hip hop music comes on. It says Thug Life, and there's like they drop like <laughs> they drop like the sunglasses onto the Gloria monster. And uh, oh man, yeah, that, that part is great. No, yeah, that, that. <laughs> yeah, Trev, what'd you think of the Thug Life meme? Oh, that was one of the best scenes. That was great because <laughs> because again, like even a little thing like that, which you could say, oh, it's just a fun joke. But it's also this great representation of like the way we deal with like things like that, like the news, you know, like that we instantly make it into a meme. So even that's like a little bit of great social commentary. Well, plus, it lightens the mood of something that's so heavy. You know, you kind of need that every yeah. once in a while in a movie like this. That's so that that man. It really when it when it gets dark, it's very dark. Like I yeah, was I, want, I was legitimately uncomfortable watching it at times. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because I wanted to get to that. I think it's an important thing to talk about to ask you guys. Like I, I me and Bert have already talked about it, but talk about it on here and hear from Matt about how you guys felt the film handles that that tonal shift because you know it is a very fun kind of 
you know, you know, she's dealing with alcoholism, but for the most part, the first half is a very fun kind of goofy comedy. And then when it takes that shift, I, I, I don't know. I've seen films try to do this and not pull it off at all. And I thought this one did a great job. And it's, I think it's because you care about the characters so much. I mean, that moment where we, where we start to really see the darkness in Oscar that Bird was talking about at the bar where he starts um, criticizing the friend for having a coke habit. Like, that whole scene was just so intense to me. And I just remember sitting in the theater and just feel like, God, this feels so real and so dark. And you could, like, we were in, like, not, I mean, our theater had a, a, quite a few people in it. And just everyone was, like, quiet watching that scene. And you could just feel like, man, this is, like, this is hard. This is rough. Yeah, if you've ever been in, the like, a, a, a room of, like, six or seven people and two people are just are fighting and, like, you've just been, like, uh, like that fly on the wall, like, I don't know what to do or say. Like, that's what watching this scene is like. And it gets uncomfortable between Oscar and Gloria. And like I said, Tim Blake Nelson has a very, like, real, very human moment here where, you know, I, Oscar really just treats him like a piece of shit, even though, like, he's one of, he's like one of his only friends and he's always been loyal. He's always been nice. And, you know, you really. Like you really feel like the tension in the the air, and isn't isn't that that's coming right after the the thug life scene, right? <laughs> Not too long after, yeah. Him. Yeah, and the only reason he's going after him was because uh, he was standing up for Gloria for like a brief moment. Yeah, he just said <laughs> he just he pretty much just said like, "Hey, man, like, calm down, like, leave her alone. It's not that big a deal." And then he's like. No, blah blah blah. Where have you been all day anyway? In the bathroom, and he's like, you know, oh, we, I know what you do in there. And the guy's like, you know, you really feel for the guy because it's like he's getting called out on something very personal in front of everybody, just so Oscar can kind of show again how much manipulation he has over everybody. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if you've if you've ever like experienced that in real life, and unfortunately, at our age group, we we probably all have, whether that's you know family, friends, whatever. Um, I, it brought back some strong memories for me, and it just made <laughs> yeah, it's fucked up, it, dude. <laughs> yeah, it just like, whew. I mean, it, it legitimately made me like squirm in my seat, like, oh god, this is a this is a rough sequence to watch. And and you begin to really feel for everybody sitting there having to deal with it, um, and, and that's honestly why like Oscar, like you just you, you want nothing more than like for Joel to finally do something at some point, like to stand up to him and like just knock him out or something, and he never does, and that drives me crazy the entire movie, which is what it's supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just oh that character drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where yeah, I mean I think you're right. It's meant to because if he does it, then it undercuts Gloria doing it later. You know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's obviously more important for her to finally stand up to him. But you know, like you you feel like Joel has the capacity to, and he, he never does. And then when when finally when Gloria is able to do it, that that's obviously the key scene in the in the film. But you have these like. We all have those friends, like I talked about earlier. Like you have we, those people that never stick up for others. Then you have uh, Garth, who, who he actually does the right thing. He just eventually walks away and says, "You know what? Screw it, guys. I'm I'm not gonna deal with this anymore." Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Gloria, who's just being controlled. Uh, I, man, I, I tell you what. As a kid, there was this. Um, I had this neighbor who, um, unfortunately, was actually in a situation where she was getting abused. Her brother was a cop, and her and, and this and her brother refused to help her. As a cop, like how do you do that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like I just that's that's what this whole thing reminds me of. Like how do you how do you not help your sister and you're a freaking cop? Yeah. Like I said, man, we've all seen. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't we, understand. We've all seen everyone in this movie like a hundred times. Like I will say, I mean, you know, we there's a lot of younger people, you know, teenagers, people in their early twenties in the not only to listen to the show, but. You know, just are into kaiju as well, but I I wonder how it's going to play to people like that who, you know, I mean it's, it's rated R, so I don't know, you know, whatever. I'm not a parent to to tell pe- parents, you know, do or don't let. I mean, it's rated R for language, but aside from that, I, it's it's these are situations that are going to be very relatable. Almost the older you are. Like, you know, I think we're in that age bracket where, like, I, I, if we saw this movie, if I, uh, at least, well, I won't speak for you guys, but if I saw this movie maybe 10 years ago, I'm not sure how much of it would, like, click, how much of it would register, like, how real, or I, I guess I would say how real, it wouldn't seem as real to me as it does now. Um, but... You know, I mean, that's not like a slight against the movie or anything, um, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think that uh, now, d- would you guys consider this to be like a feminist kind of movie? Yes. Yeah. Big time. As I said, I think I think one of the most important you know ideas of this film is that it's about her breaking free of like not just Oscar but also Tim. Um, you know, even feeling like, um, uh, what's that guy's name who keeps bothering you, Matt? Uh, Joel, Joel. <laughs> you know, even really like Joel doesn't have to save her, right? Like she can do this herself. She can, she can re- accept responsibility. Joel doesn't have the, uh, testicular fortitude to save her. It's yeah. his problem. But I mean, but you know, I say like the, the idea is that like, she doesn't, she shouldn't have to need him to either. Right. No, she like, doesn't need him to. That's not yeah. the issue. It's just like, but, it, like yeah, obviously he should do the right thing, but I'm saying like the the she, this is a movie where she's trying, you know, she's trying, especially at a certain point, one scene in particular, it's it's just flat out, uh, you know, uh, verbalized. <laughs> but we oh, have, yeah. two, we have yeah. two men trying to like control her and pull her, you know, Tim on one hand and Oscar on the other, and she eventually has to make the decision that like neither one of them are good for her. And she has to do the right thing and 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 make this own decision. I think she's an incredibly strong um, female character, and I think this film is a, a pretty incredibly strong feminist uh, statement. Yeah, and uh, I mean, even outside of that, it works as just this is how people treat each other in toxic relationships. Um, now, Matt, I know anytime there's a monster movie or anything like that, one of the things you always go on and on and on about is the design. So how, how did you feel about the actual design of the monster and the robot? Yeah, dude, they were cool. I liked them. I, I, I dug them. Yeah, um, I liked them too. They're different but recognizable. And then, uh, you know, when I, I, I read later, you know, that the director said, you know, that was kind of the point, is he wanted something that would be very familiar as, okay, that's a... a giant kaiju monster that's a giant robot similar to what you've seen but also something you haven't seen if that makes sense like um well i thought what was cool about them too is like there's a some there's like a kind of simplicity to their design a little bit but then when we discover like their origin as it is that makes sense right like they are basically meant to look like toys yeah yeah yeah, so it, yeah it actually yeah. works you know yeah 
Um, we won't spoil exactly the sequence, but when they do give... It's brief, but when they do give a sort of explanation to what's happening, how did you guys feel about that? Do you think it... Because I've seen some people say they felt like it kind of detracted from it a little bit. Other people saying it doesn't really matter. How did you guys feel about that? I liked uh, it. I mean, I, I didn't... I mean, I feel like... you know, I, I, I would wonder... I'd be interested to watch a cut where it's removed because... I don't think it would change the film all that much, actually, to, to remove it, other than the realization she has about Oscar in that moment. But um, in terms of like the explanation of why this is happening, it was it, it's it's I feel weird because I, I think I feel like I saw someone say it feels like too fantasy ish. But it's like you're saying it's too fantasy ish for the movie where they're controlling giant monsters by standing in a playground. <laughs> I mean, it, it's you know what I mean. Like I thought it was, I thought it was, ju- it was just like fantastic enough to be a decent explanation because really, what real explanation could you give? You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I'm hundred percent with Trevor on that. Like I didn't, it didn't need to go any further. It was just enough of an explanation to be like, oh, okay, well that, that makes sense enough for the movie. Yeah. yeah. I could see how someone might feel like, oh, it feels kind of tacked on, but it, it it it's so brief, and they don't really make too fine a point of it that it's not really something that, you know, stuck out to me. Um, I, my thing is, I mean, I have a couple nitpicks here and there, but, like, they're so minor. But, for example, like, I was talking to Trev about, uh, well, I well, we both had one. In the, in the monster sequences, my thing was, like, every time... Gloria comes back as the monster and they show the the creature in in Korea like the buildings are just like okay again you know that but I mean it's <laughs> it, it's just like things like that that are just like so that, it's the fact that like the like people are always there oh yeah like, that was yours Trev <laughs> yeah like at what point are these people like not going to be hanging around this part of you know Seoul like waiting for this thing to appear because like, yeah because what happens is once it becomes like a regular occurrence they sound a siren and that's to like warn people, like, hey, it's the time. This is the time where the monster shows up. It may or may not show up, but if you got to get out of there. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, it's just little nitpicks. I feel like we should. Uh, I don't because I I don't know if we're like winding down or whatever. But we really haven't talked about the performances yet. Which yeah, is obviously I, I definitely think we need to give credit where credit is is due. Because first of all, I thought everyone in the movie was excellent. Um, Anne Hathaway was great. Um, she has a weird reputation that I don't quite understand. She's not well liked for whatever reason. I, I honestly don't understand that, but you know, I don't pay too much attention to why anyone would think that she always seems like fun and jovial whenever I see interviews with her or whatever. Yeah. I like Anne Hathaway. I've, I'm on, I'm with you, Bert, in that I've never gotten that whole like, ah, we hate Anne Hathaway thing because I guess it's this idea that she seems pretentious, but she's never seemed more pretentious than to me than a lot of other well, yeah, celebrities. Like, when, and, when, I th- when I think like pretentious celebrity, like spoiled rich, I think like Gwyneth Paltrow and she's yeah. like, not even like a 20th. Yeah, like, Hathaway is someone who's always seemed like, like you said, like whenever I see her in talk shows, wherever she seems like she has this fun sense of humor. Um, God, she was trying her hardest to like save the Oscars that year. She hosted with James Franco. Oh yeah, that was a that was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, Franco was um, the worst. Did you watch any? Do you remember that, Matt? When her oh, and Franco man. were hosting, and Franco he had to was baked out of his mind or something <laughs> that night. I think. Well, I think he was like looking at it like this, like dumb, like weird <laughs> performance piece, and she was like, "Can we like try to do like a real job?" And and you just fell for her in the moment. Yeah. But uh, no, I like her a lot. I thought she was an awesome Catwoman. Um. She I was just, a great I've, Catwoman. I've, she, her Catwoman yeah. is one of the best things in in that movie. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that uh, she's getting like a claim for this. And, you know, again, that's like why it's a man. I wish was a bigger deal because yeah. I just feel like more people need to be on her side. Yeah. Um, Matt, were you and ever the fa- uh, and were... even the fa- like just really quickly, even the fact that she wanted to do a movie like this makes me like her even more. And she said she decided she wanted to do something weird after seeing a field in England. Yeah. Um, Matt, <laughs> Matt, were you ever a, a half a hater? No, man. Okay. Uh, everything that I've seen her in is great. Yeah, she's always been excellent, and like I said, I, she's always she's always seemed fun. So I, I try not to put too much stock in like in what an actor or actress does in their spare time because like what matters to me is their performance on the screen. It's kind of like, like you know bands like there's always that pretentious douchebag you know singer artist whatever. What I care about is is your is your music yeah, or your performance great, or your but, artistry. Yeah, but they make great records. Uh, yeah, so you don't you don't care about that. But she she's. I, She's great in this. And I mean, I, she, she's the thing I like the most about the movie. I have to say, I'm not going to say stole the show from Hathaway, but definitely as good and delivered beyond what I would have thought he was capable of is Jason Sudeikis is Oscar. Like he's that, terrifying. Yeah, it, that is a hell of a performance. Like he 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 owned like that role. Like his uh the last his last bit as a character as Oscar is was great <laughs> right that, yeah. that, that last sequence is phenomenal mm-hmm. well it's a just it's an amazing bit of casting in general right because by casting sudeikis you really hide like the the tonal twist because i don't think anyone goes in expecting sudeikis to play that kind of character i think it's very easy to um fall for fall for his lies the same way gloria does because it's sudeikis like we have this idea of like oh sudeikis is always like the nice guy you know and from what i understand like he's his rep is that in 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 real life he's like one of the nicest celebrities in hollywood that's like you know you never hear a bad thing about him and so for him to you know be able to take that into the role and it's like he uses that as as you know the gaslight part of it and then when that shift happens um, now we know, oh, man, this is one of those guys, too, who's like, he's so nice that he can actually unlock this like more sinister side of him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he starts playing more villain roles after this because he is so scary and so good at it. Yeah, honestly, that's what he's one of my he's one of my favorite villains I've seen in a long time. Like he's he's excellent. Um, but I mean, even the bit parts, you know, Tim Blake Nelson, Dan Stevens, like they're they're awesome i mean those guys always deliver but yeah like this is if you're a fan of just good acting like i'd almost say like you gotta see this it's the best movie i've seen in a long time in the theater honestly yeah like um i mean i don't think we really knew what to expect which is good but i i definitely we i don't think like i was not expecting that you know, and I definitely wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be so dark and I wasn't expecting it to be so layered and and have so much to so many things to say. Um, and, I, you know, I just thought like, OK, I'm going to see this weird little indie kaiju movie. It's going to be really offbeat and probably be kind of silly and I'm going to go. home. But it was like, wow, like I couldn't get this movie out of my head. Yeah, it's it, it's my favorite movie of the year so far, by far. And I, I think, to me, it's like, so my favorite movie last year was Swiss Army Man. And right now, this movie is this year's Swiss Army Man. And that it's a film that has this really weird concept, but completely, like, 
buys into its own concept and goes all the way with it, is not embarrassed of the concept, actually takes it for all it's worth and, um, you know, doesn't back away from the weirdness of it, but uses this like strange idea to tell like a deeper story about humans and human relationships. And, you know, I like, you know, like we, we were just having a long Facebook conversation, uh, the three of us with some other guys about like the Marvel movies and everything. And don't get me wrong. Like I like all, I love the MCU films and I like a lot of mainstream films, but, it, it, but yeah, at a time where the majority of movies we get are those kind of cookie cutter blockbusters, we should always be happy to get films this weird mm-hmm. and this strange still out there. And I'm always going to gravitate more towards those in terms of the ones I love the most each year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, we, we can wrap up and wind down. Um, so uh, I'll have you guys give your final thoughts and um, and uh, your ratings. So, uh, Trev, I mean, that's pretty much your final thoughts right there. So how many Thug Life memes would you give this <laughs> out of five? Uh, and yeah, I'm actually going to give it five out of five Thug Life memes. Um, I don't have a bad thing to say about this. Like, you said, like as you said, there can be little nitpicks or anything, but... To me, it's just it's so strong creatively and so memorable and such a breath of fresh air that all that completely outweighs whatever tiny, tiny nitpicks I might have. And really, I just think it's it's like a brilliant film that I want everyone to see. Yeah, Um, I'm going to end on Matt. I'll say for me, uh, it surpassed all my expectations. It gave me something in a genre I love that I haven't seen. Um, Like I said about um, how. I mean, we don't often see kaiju movies that are actually using the monsters to externalize, you know, our the personal problems and things that we do to the people in our lives. Um, and so it it was a breath of fresh air on that level to see someone use the genre in such a creative and cool way. And, you know, getting around the low budget by bringing it in like that was genius um i mean i i like this the skull islands and the pacific rims also but if you just go to the go to those and it's like yeah that's all i want uh, out of a kaiju movie ever you know i mean turn your car around go home this isn't going to be your thing but if you're like you know what you know skull island you know was fun but it was also kind of formulaic what can i see that's different this is going to be the movie you want to check out. And also, if you're like Trev and you're more of a character guy, um, like, yeah, definitely check it out because it's a great character study. Um, And, you know, Trev, that's the thing you complain about the most, like you said, is the lack of character. Mm-hmm. Like well, I, and like I know for example, like one of your favorite Godzilla movies is Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, the first Korea one. Which, in my opinion, like the monster stuff is actually kind of lackluster. But I'm guessing for you, you like the characters, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Um, so. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna go there. Five Thug Life memes out of five. If it's playing near you, go see it. Even if you walk out not liking it, give it a chance and just appreciate. It for being something new, doing something new with the genre that we love, and uh, I mean support it. And I really hope as the release expands and it comes to streaming and Blu-ray and stuff, I really hope the fandom kind of takes more to it a little bit. Um, the 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 thing I would I would hate to see out of this is like um, 
the reaction that like some people get out of like uh you know the gareth edwards movie monsters which like it or not you know the big thing is whoa where's all the monsters why is it just all these people you know and i i would be very disappointed in the kaiju fandom if that's what they took home from this but five out of five matt what do you got for us yeah man uh so this movie's great and i don't have much to add in terms of uh what you guys have already said but it it's it really is a great uh character study Anne hathaway is is wonderful um i mean it, it's just a wonderful movie all the way around it has everything you could want from this kind of film um characters that you actually care about or hate depending on how you're approaching the movie um and completely relatable they feel incredibly real and authentic and you, you can't say that about a lot of movies um and so for and, and then of course you have the monsters right like you the monster stuff when it's there um it's great i loved every second the monsters were on the screen well monster and robot i guess so for me it would be five out of five uh thug life memes yeah yeah, no. Um, it, it, Look at that, Chumps, a perfect score. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a perfect score, a score all around. I don't know if we've had that. Like, that's Not that's, from, like, not not when it was, like, multiple. Yeah, like, well, me, when it was me other and you will besides. be like, oh, Godzilla 54, 5 out of 5. It's like, yeah, it's true. That's what everyone says. But, like, yeah. This, <laughs> mm, three and a half. Yeah, but this is, uh, this this should tell you that, you know, this is something really special. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that it exists. And I hope to God more people see it and, and get around it. It's that good. Oh, boy. Do you guys think Anne Hathaway is going to listen to this? Probably not. No. Probably of course. Not. We'll get her on. We'll get I her bet, on. I bet Joel will. And then he'll probably be like, dude. Yeah, the Joel I, guy is probably listening. He's the worst. <laughs> Stick up for your friends, man. Stick up for your friends. <laughs> Even if, even if Joel was female, I'd be like, stick up for your friends, stupid idiot. Well, it's like, yeah, but she comes and gives you, like, a free booty call, and you're not going to stick up for her? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the thing, dude. Like, you slept with her, and then you still couldn't sleep with her? Oh, you're the worst. You slept with her, I don't and you still I, couldn't sleep with her? I don't even know what I said. I just pulled a bird. Like, when you type bird, this is what bird does when he types. He, like confuses words and i just did it verbally apparently I, my phone confuses words but yes i'm a terrible terrible typist on my phone I, like i i should probably like legally not be allowed to i mean you have the same phone everybody else has so it's not the greatest excuse but you know what you guys are just better at it than me never think of that yeah that's what we think of all you know, the time trev trev has like a running screenshot list of all the times that bird screw stuff up that's true <laughs> i cannot wait to see that like get posted somewhere one day um go see colossal yes see colossal um yeah i i don't know i was really impressed so um yeah that's colossal and geez if anyone did listen to the whole thing who hasn't seen it i really hope they don't care about spoilers but you warned them like ahead of time so that's true i mean we didn't tell them how it ends so you'd still get something out of it (laughs) yeah that's true we we left some surprises in there um, we left more spoilers out of this than the trailers did. <laughs> that's probably true. Oh, God, those trailers, man. And last call to save the world, that's the tagline? If it was like last call to save soul, then that would have worked. Yeah. 
Or it'll be like it'll be the poster, uh, saving the world's not hard or not the, easy. The, it's like, what are you talking about? The poster I like actually though has the tagline "All she could do is save the world," which isn't a, the best tagline either. But yeah. at least it's not that corny sounding. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's that kind of that fun poster that's like the the painting of her scratching her head and the monster scratching its head behind her. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you hey, guys- are wondering where you can see Colossal. Uh, check out the official website, which is sheiscolossal.com, one word, and they have a theater listing. And I hope, if you do that, that it is playing near you. Hey, guys, I have a cool way to end the podcast today. Well, not cool, but I, I, have, a, I have a confession. Uh, so I, I, uh, my son has been making me watch all these Godzilla films. When I say making me, he just requests to watch a, a Godzilla film, so I've been showing him different ones. Well, we've been watching Godzilla versus the Smog Monster, and it's been growing on me, so I don't hate it anymore. Oh, that's I'm great! Pulling Eric, I'm, I'm pulling an Eric, <laughs> but like I'm flopping a movie that I used to hate, and now it's like, oh, I kind of like this now. What's wrong with me? Welcome. Something our... wrong with you? You're finally becoming smart. Yeah. Welcome to welcome to welcome to adulthood, man. <laughs> like, why would you ever? Why would you ever hate such an enjoyable movie? I, I don't. I don't know. Like, I used to think it was very uh, boring, and now I'm like, oh, this isn't. This no, isn't dude, bad. That, that movie's too wild to be boring. That movie's. That movie's great. Well, yeah, anyway. hopefully, with a few more screenings, you will. Uh, you'll. You'll be fully converted. That's exciting news. So, stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Oh, that's probably more what it is. It's just wearing you down because you're watching it so much. Yeah, dude, I, I've watched like seven Godzilla movies in two days. <laughs> it's been insane. Yeah. So, see, uh, the, mod, the 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 thing you learn from this podcast is if you have kids, you will watch more films about Godzilla. Yeah, well, that's not a bad thing. <sighs> All right, well, I guess uh, yeah, we can head on out. You guys, good. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. All right, go see Colossal. Bye, everybody. <laughs>